Everything seems to be working fine. I'm talking to myself for the next hour or so. Um, I will give you the uh, pause or whatever is normal for the list. Okay. Um, I'm going to give myself my usual countdown. Uh, so, um, yep, I'm ready to go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that knows when dealing with zombies, deadites, or Thanos, you should always go for the head. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. And surprisingly, I am actually by myself. Ryan is off finishing his master's. Peter is off doing baby stuff. Um, Quick baby update, and I know he'll have more to say about it later, but the baby was born, and uh, everyone's healthy. Baby's healthy. Mom's healthy. So that'll be great. I'm assuming Peter will have more details when he gets back. Um, Also, when Peter gets back, um, as always, our top five list when he gets back is going to be the best of 2018, at least what we think. Uh, We know the Oscars have happened. We know the best picture of the year was Green Book, but Peter and I realized that the baby, uh, his son being born, hit at the right time that we were going to do that list. So we'll be saving it for then. So since I'm uh, running by myself tonight, I have lots of news to cover. I have a couple trailers to discuss. I do have a list for you guys. Uh, So this could get weird just because I've never done a solo episode. Uh, But I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the listeners. I I might not have a very conversational with uh, someone sitting next to me. but uh, So I'm sitting here alone in my little podcast studio looking at the whiteboard, getting ready to run things down. Um, I will say at the time of this recording, it is March 14th, 3.14. It's Pi Day. Um, so happy pie to everybody. Um, I always thought this was a, it's not really a holiday. I just always thought it was a fun holiday, holiday slash non-holiday, if you will. Um, just because of the, uh, implication of pie. So if I can remember off the top of my head, pie is 3.14159265358979332. That's where I can't remember how much farther pi goes. Those are all the digits of pi I remember. Either way, happy pi to everybody. Okay, so some quick business on the table before I move into news and what am I watching and everything. Uh, C2E2 or Chicago Comic Chicago Comic Entertainment Expo is uh, moments away from us. Uh, Peter and I will be there as press. We'll be covering everything. We'll tell you guys the highlights, things we saw, things we liked. Um, cover some information from the panels. We will uh, see if we can snag a few interviews. I'm hoping uh, there's some people I want to check out. Uh, one of my favorite voice actors, James Arnold Taylor's there. I'm definitely planning on meeting with him. Hopefully he has some time to talk to us. The I'm a big fan of the Animaniacs cartoon that happened back in the uh, 90s. Uh, the Animaniacs cast and crew will be there. Uh, they have a panel Thursday night, which I don't know if I'll be able to make it, but... And that's like a pre-con kind of exclusive thing. I don't know if I'll be able to make it to that. Regardless of that moment, uh, they will be there signing autographs and doing stuff during the con. So hopefully we get a chance to talk to them. I can't make any promises. Can't make any guarantees. All I can say is we're going to go. We're going to have a good time at the convention. And uh, we'll, have, we'll give you feedback as we get back. So hopefully, hopefully we got some good tidbits for you. Um, so... That being said, let's move on to the watching category, the watching slash reading. Uh, I started a new book. Um, it's called Troll Mountain. It's another book by uh, the author Matthew Riley that I told you guys about. 
Uh, I hadn't had a chance to read this. It kind of, he's an Australian author and he's really hard to, sometimes it's hard to get his book. Sometimes here in the States we get things on a delay. So getting my hands on that book was kind of delayed. So I finally got my hands on it. I'm about halfway through it. It's really good. He, uh, he doesn't normally write fantasy, but this is a fantasy story a la Willow slash Lord of the Rings slash, uh, I don't want to compare it to Game of Thrones because it's definitely more fantasy than Game of Thrones, but so far it's really good. Um, I'm really liking it, so we'll see how that goes. Um, as far as watching, I, uh, I'm cruising through the DVR like normal. There's not many things to say because it's just keeping up with the regular shows, but I did go see Captain Marvel. I know a lot of people saw Captain Marvel. Next week, I actually have a guest coming on who will have a Cap who will want to talk Captain Marvel along with another guest that will want to talk Captain Marvel. So we're going to get a couple Captain Marvel reviews. When Peter gets back from his baby leave, he's going to want to talk Captain Marvel reviews. So I look at this as a, I'm going to give you a quick review of my own because we'll be talking plenty about Captain Marvel as we go. So, Captain Marvel, let's let's break it down. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to be a spoilery uh, review. I don't want to get too heavy into spoilers because I don't want to ruin the movie. But I will say there's going to be some things I'm going to talk about that are going to that make me wonder about the future of the Marvel Universe. Not talking Endgame, but post-Endgame because of some story points that were discussed. So, I'm going to issue this as a spoiler warning before... I start talking only because I know people, sometimes they might not get to see a movie right away. So just know that that's how I look at it. Um, but so going in, uh, first off, when the movie, uh, I was really surprised that there was no Endgame trailer in front of Captain Marvel. That really shocked me a little bit. Uh, but it, that was just the theater I went to. Um, I saw it in IMAX. Uh, I had some great trailers, but I was just surprised. Um, but when the movie opened... We all know the Marvel logo. We all know the Marvel opening where it's the comic book pages and then it rolls into the images of the characters and you actually see footage of the movies and it, and it pans out and it kind of scrolls around the letters and eventually you get the Marvel Studios logo. That has been, that is probably, arguably, one of the best movie studios, like, logo openings that you could put. And when you see that logo, you know you're in for a ride. Marvel has done great things with their films and the properties they're working on and this and you know even even when you look at the fact that the the greatness of that logo you know they put a lot of care into what they do so that being said this was a not normal logo the logo opened and it was instead of the normal marvel characters you see instead of captain america instead of the hulk instead of iron man scarlet witch the different characters you see in the logo this was all stanley it was stan's cameos it was stan I, I, there was probably glimpses of Stan doing other things, but it was all Stanley. And what I loved about that is because we had our, we lost Stanley this past year, it just clearly seemed like a tribute to Stanley as a big thank you. And then as it showed the logo and it said Marvel Studios, the screen fades black and it says thank you Stanley. And it was an instant tear to my cheek, and I was just I was overwhelmed immediately with emotion before the movie started because. Lately, just about anything Stanley has kind of made me tear up. So, um, with that being said, the 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 opening of the movie had already got me before the movie started. So, sucking back my tear, the movie begins, and this is interesting because this is an this is a Marvel movie that takes place almost entirely, yeah, literally entirely before Endgame. 
because it takes place in the 90s, 1995 to be exact, according to the uh, according to the movie itself. But it starts with um, the Kree and uh, the Kree invading this planet, and they're going on a mission, and then whatever happens, and then Captain Marvel ends up on Earth. Now, Captain Marvel ending up on Earth, this was a 90s film. They paid very heavy attention to the fact that this is 90s for, like, cars and tech. And uh, there's a great scene where there's a computer and they're waiting for the computer to do something. And everyone in the room's like, what's happening? And uh, Nick Fury has this moment where he says, uh, it, it's loading. Just give it a second. Because, you know, it was really funny. And to those of us who've grown up from the 90s and dealt with computer tech back then, it was a really funny moment. Uh, because most of the younger audience that are going to see this movie do not <laughs> do not understand what that was like for us back then when the internet first existed. So they did some really funny stuff with tech. Um, but because this took place in the 90s, there were some things that I was looking for in terms of story stuff. Because we knew Nick Fury was in the movie. So Nick Fury is in the movie. Uh, he has both his eyes, so he hasn't, he hasn't lost his eye. He doesn't have his eye patch yet. But uh, Agent Coulson's also in the movie. But very, very early in the movie, when Nick Fury meets Captain Marvel for the first time... Well, by the way, at this point in the film, she's not named Captain Marvel. But when he meets her for the first time, he introduces himself as Agent Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, I saw this as a very glaring continuity error. And you think to yourself, why would that be a continuity error? Well, as a continuity error... And I, I know I'm not the only person who caught this because I had talked to a friend of mine and she caught it as well. Uh, the, the, my friend Bryn, sorry, I should have, I could have clarified that, but I was talking to Bryn on the phone. Uh, she was on last week about it after we both saw the movie and she, uh, we both pointed out the continuity error and she was surprised that we both caught it, but they wouldn't have called it S.H.I.E.L.D. in the 90s. If you remember Iron Man 1, they show Agent Coulson introducing himself to Pepper Potts. And he says, hi, my name's Agent Coulson. I'm from the Strategic Homeland, blah, 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 whatever the acronym stands for. And Pepper Potts says, wow, that's a, that's a mouthful. And Coulson says, yeah, we're still working on the name. Well, that says to me, that was in 2008. So in 1995, they wouldn't have called it S.H.I.E.L.D. because they hadn't figured out the acronym. Because later in Iron Man, I think it's Iron Man 2, when he refers to it as S.H.I.E.L.D., she questions... Pepper Potts then questions the acronym, and he says, yeah, that's what we figured out it was. And she's like, oh, you know, there's this moment where they talk about that a second time. And then in Captain Marvel, they call it S.H.I.E.L.D. repeatedly. Now, to me, that was a continuity error. But to the general public, the non, the, the general moviegoers who don't know, like, if this is, like, one of your first Marvel films, if this is a parent taking a kid and the parent doesn't really focus, or, like, if you've never noticed that moment in Iron Man 1, or maybe you haven't seen all the movies, calling it S.H.I.E.L.D. just lends continuity to the people who maybe haven't been paying as close attention. Because at the end of the day, we all know it's S.H.I.E.L.D. So, where I thought it was an error and made a face at the screen, I can accept for the reason why it was the way it was. So... Yeah, anyway, moving on. Um, later in the movie, there's a Stan Lee cameo, um, as always. Uh, we don't know how many Stan Lee cameos are coming, but this is, you know, Stan Lee has a handful of cameos that we might get to see again. I, I'm assuming they'll announce when the last one happens. But this Stan Lee cameo uh, I thought was really, really special. Um, if you know Kevin Smith as a writer and director, uh, he has the most emotional response to it, and rightfully so. 
but this one I think is my absolute favorite Stanley cameo. And if you're uneducated in like film history, you'll just look at this and go, "Oh, it's Stanley." You won't necessarily see anything special. But those of us who grew up back then and kind of grew up with certain movies, we we saw it and all thought it was really really cool because there's only one way a Stanley cameo like this could happen is he's sitting on a bus reading a movie script for a movie called Mallrats which in in the 90s was written by Kevin Smith written and directed by Kevin Smith which was Stanley's very first film cameo which is amazing that's the only movie that they could have done a Stanley cameo like that in and it was basically Stan as himself as opposed to Stan as a bus driver or anything like that. And he's reading the script for the movie he's about to be in. Um, so I thought that was really special. Uh, I love the movie Mallrats, so this is, that was really cool. But um, what I thought was really cool about it was the fact that because he's reading Mallrats, that means Kevin Smith as a person exists within the Marvel Universe. So if I haven't heard Kevin Smith's like full like breakdown of Captain Marvel, but if he hasn't realized it, Kevin, you're a part of the... Uh, Marvel Universe. Um, so anyway, moving on to the movie, um, the action was great. The fight scenes were great. Um, the story as a whole was amazing. I loved. There was a. I thought it was a really cool redirect with some story stuff because Captain Marvel to me, I know who she is, and uh, I've always. She's always been a supporting character. I've never like went to, went to the comic book store and read an actual Captain Marvel book. I've always looked at it as she's supporting, and I know of her, and I know of her powers, and I know who she is, and I know somewhat of her origin, but I didn't know as much. So I kind of went into this movie a little uh, behind in terms of comic reading, and sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, so anyway, she uh, the origin of the character I loved this this movie is easily one of my definitely makes it into my favorite list for Marvel films and I know some of you who are listening to the show and you're probably like well when are you going to do your Marvel top five um, we're getting there we think that Endgame is a good point to maybe do a top five Marvel films because we know there's more coming but we don't know what the slate is after Endgame we don't really know what the overall plan because Endgame is part of a story it's almost like it's almost like the Infinity story is going to come to an end and then we're going to get in this Endgame story. So that'd be a good point to discuss our favorite Marvel films. And then later in the next 20 Marvel films down the road, we'll do it again. So um, it's almost like this is the end of the first season, if you will, because I'm kind of looking at this now that Marvel is a, Marvel really is a television show. And the only way to watch the next episode of your favorite TV show is to go to the theater. And Marvel taught everyone how to do that. It's really, really cool how they taught people continuity. I was watching people walk into the theater for Captain Marvel who were just simply going because it's Captain Marvel and they know they can't watch Endgame unless they see Captain Marvel. Because that's how we all feel. So our butt's going to be in the seat for every one of them. So like when the post-credit, when the credits happened, nobody moved. And we all waited because we know that there's Marvel stuff at the still the story is still going. Um, so uh, going through this going through the movie, we get to uh, I want to talk about the scrolls real quick because the scrolls. What's interesting about the scrolls is they're shapeshifters. They can be anyone. They can sound like anyone, and it creates. I was worried about a continuity thing with upcoming stories because we didn't know where this was going so you have a character who can shapeshift and be anything and then you have a big story arc that marvel did called secret invasion 
a secret invasion got it was about a scroll invasion on earth and it got very convoluted very complicated and is not really seen as one of the best stories there's probably people out there that like it but i found it really difficult to read and in doing so you got the point where you're like, oh, it's Captain America. No, it's not Captain America. Oh, it's this person. Oh, it's not that person because of all the scroll situation. And it's almost like they said, we're going to do Secret Invasion in a way that we don't have to do it later in an acknowledgement of the comics as opposed to making that the next big story. So I feel like they found a way to not to do Secret Invasion without doing Secret Invasion. And you'll understand when, I, when you see the movie why I say it that way. Because they basically just... It's almost like they, the scrolls exist, they're there, and we move on. Um, so I was a little happy about that because I was wary about how that was going to go. But the scroll stuff, ha- uh, Ben Mendelsohn plays like the the main scroll that you see in the story. And he, Ben Mendelsohn is a fantastic actor. And everything he's in, I'm always like, sweet, here he is. This is it's, He's just so good. So um, I always look forward to that. Uh well, I'm going to roll into the end of the film here real quick. There's um, The movie comes to a close. We get to see how Nick Fury loses his eye. I'll leave it at that. I do feel that if you watch this movie, you will be able to call it from... <laughs> it's a long time out, but I feel very early in the movie you can go, up. Oh, that's how Nick Fury is going to lose his eye. And sure enough, if you can figure it out or that early, you're dead on because we all knew. Um, there are a couple surprises in there, but when we get to the post credit scenes... I will say there's two post-credit scenes. There's one in the middle of the credits. That's the important one. And then the second post-credit scene is all the way at the end. That's the not-so-important one. Uh, the post-credit scene in the middle is the end-game credit scene. I'm not going to explain what it is. I won't say what, it, what they were talking about. But I will say this. It made me, like, sick to my stomach to watch. And not sick to my stomach because it was gross or made me feel nauseous or like there was like bad imagery on the screen. It made me feel sick to my stomach as that nervous sick to your stomach where you don't know what's happening next. And we're walking into Endgame and here we are like it was it just it just made I, I was like gripping my chair because I didn't know what I was watching. And it makes me a little scared to see Endgame. But I cannot wait. April 26th is right around the corner. We're like a month away. Endgame's going to be amazing. So, and we're going to talk Endgame a little bit later, but that is my Captain Marvel review. Overall, I loved it. It easily is one of my favorite Marvel films. So, yeah, let's uh, let's leave it at that, and we'll be talking more Captain Marvel in the upcoming weeks. So, let's move into news, because I talked a little heavier on Captain Marvel than I thought, and, we have a, and I got a lot to cover, even though I'm by myself. So, first off... Um, we are going to... I'll talk about uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, Game of Thrones' final season is about to start. Uh, we're about a month away from... Yeah, we are exactly one month away. It's March 14th today. April 14th is Game of Thrones. We're exactly one month away from that the final season. Um, HBO released a statement that they're not going to screen the final episodes in advance. Normally, HBO does big premieres for like the opening... Um, for the first episode or maybe the finale episode or whatever, and they do it in advance with writers and critics. They're not going to be doing it this year. Um, last season, there was a big HBO hack, and episodes got leased and leaked, and people knew about it, and like there were spoilers on the internet, and I basically did my best to stay away from the internet when that was happening. So um, I didn't get any spoilers, but HBO was terrified about someone ruining this show. So they're not going to screen it. This is a very good thing. So good. Um... Sesame Street is apparently getting a movie in 2021, which 
I think is really cool. Um, I'm not the biggest Sesame Street fan, but I'm a huge Muppet fan, and the Sesame Street is a part of that. So at some point, I'm probably going to watch this movie. Um, I've always been a Muppet fan from when I was a kid, even to when I was an adult. And the Muppets, watching them as an adult, they've only gotten funnier. There's so much humor there that I've always that you don't get when you're a kid, and then you get later as an adult because it's almost like the Muppets was written for an adult, but designed to be for a child, and. That's really, really cool. Um, so the Sesame Street is getting a movie, and I just think that if the Sesame Street movie pays off, that might lead way to new Muppet projects. And honestly, I just hope we get more Muppets because that's, I mean, it's not just a nostalgic thing. I think the Muppets are just a good thing. Um, another a movie announcement that happened was Tom and Jerry are apparently getting a movie. Um, this came to no surprise to me when, I, when we had The Grinch come out this past year. Uh, the Grinch movie was... It wasn't bad. Um, I found it a little boring, to be completely honest. But you know, I I'm a big big fan of the books. That the not the the original Dr. Seuss book holds a real special place in my heart in terms of a film or in terms of a story. But in the movie, I just felt was kind of okay. But in terms of animation, of course, someone like a Tom and Jerry movie coming out, it makes complete sense. And Tom and Jerry, as a kid, that was a really fun. Uh, cartoon for me to watch, you know, with the with the antics of the cat chasing the mouse, and there was a lot of hilarity to it. So it could actually be a pretty cool thing. Um, Jumanji sequel is filming right now, and if you watched the Jumanji, if you watched the most recent Jumanji with The Rock and Karen Gillan and Jack Black and Kevin Hart, they're doing a sequel. What I think is interesting about this is they're doing a sequel with that cast which means that cast is going to play the game again. I find that really kind of cool because in the original Jumanji with Robin Williams, the kids were terrified and they didn't want to play the game again. And here we are, the kids are actually going to be playing the game a second time, and it makes me wonder if there's some reason they have to play the game again, which, again, makes me really excited. So uh, when they post the cast picture of the cast getting together to do it again, I'm just like, this is great, let's go. So... Um, well, we'll see what Jumanji has in store for us. Um, let's jump over to the CW real quick. Uh, CW has their DC shows, or the DCW, if you will. They um, they announced the Batwoman television show, and Batwoman was introduced in the CW crossover this past year, uh, Else, Elseworlds, and oh, over the winter break when they aired the Elseworlds uh, crossover. Batwoman was introduced, Gotham City in that universe was introduced, and it was really well done, and I really liked that bit they did with uh, Batwoman. With the Batwoman origin that they're going to tell, it's going. To, it's very clear that she already existed when you saw the crossover, so to tell the origin on the show, it's going to be pre-crossover. So it's a, that'll all take before the place before the crossover. I don't know if that first season or the show as a whole will take place before the crossover. What I would like to think is going to happen is they will do the origin. There'll be a handful of episodes. There'll be like a story note or something about that crossover happening. And then we'll finish out the season on its own. And then Batwoman will be on its own. So I'm hoping that's the case. Um, Ruby Rose did a great job and I really look forward to it uh, because those shows to me are only getting better. And Greg Berlanti is just doing cooler and cooler stuff. Berlanti, um, since we're talking about him, Riverdale, if you're not watching Riverdale, I highly recommend it. It just gets better and better. And when I say better and better, it's the crazier it gets, 
the weirder, the cooler it gets. It just, I'm not at like the edge of my seat, but every time something happens on the show, I'm like, oh, seriously, we're doing this now? And you're just like, yes, give me more of this. Like it just, no matter how crazy it gets, the more excited I am to watch again and again. Um, so we have some a couple trailers we need to talk about. We have a couple a poster I need to talk about. But there was something I saw because this was a top five podcast. I thought this would be really cool to look at. Um, I stumbled upon a list of uh, since Captain Marvel came out. I was looking at some stuff online today, and I stumbled across a list of the top five highest grossing films worldwide as of March 2019. So I'll start at the bottom. Um, it's really kind of almost baffling to see this, um, but the uh, the number five, I'll start at the bottom, I'll just count from number five and go up. So um, number five goes to Jurassic World, the first Jurassic World in 2015 with uh, $1,670,000,000. $1, dollars I'm not going to go into the full detail of the I'm not going to go into every number but one billion six hundred and seventy dollars um six hundred and seventy million that's insane um number four goes to Avengers Infinity War with two billion forty eight million and change number three is Star Wars The Force Awakens at two billion sixty eight million and change so Star Wars still sits up on top now, here's what I think is interesting. Um, Star Wars, Avengers Infinity War, and Jurassic World have gotten that money raked in box office based on single release only. There's no dual releases. There's no special releases. So when they do show this, it shows so if the movie makes a certain amount of money, it's because of the sheer number of... It's, it's all their theater runs together. So, for example, number two on this list is Titanic. At two billion one hundred and eighty-seven million and change. Now, Titanic had multiple runs in the theater, so they released it and then they re-released it later. So, it's not a single release. So, if you think about that, Star Wars: The Force Awakens being the higher of those first three I mentioned, in my opinion, is the biggest, the bigger of the success stories because it was a single release and it got that much money. Um, which brings me to the next, the number one on the list, the highest grossing film worldwide, is Avatar at $2,787,000,000 and change. Again, Avatar, just like Titanic, got multiple releases, so it makes me wonder what would have happened if Star Wars Force Awakens got a second release or Infinity War got a second release. But again, it makes Star Wars look like the bigger success story because... You know, from four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Star Wars sits at number three, but two above it. You know, they had multiple releases, and Star Wars only had the single. Uh, with that being said, none of these totals that I found here are listed based on inflation, uh, uh, price of inflation. That's another list. If maybe I can go look that up, but if you take any movie's release and figure it out for the price of inflation you will get you'll see like the list will be different avatars i don't think avatars on the top i actually think um avatar might be on the top i know star wars i think actually i think the original star wars is the on the top if you increase the ticket prices from with inflation so uh that'd be that'd be an interesting list to look at but i just thought that was interesting to share um since this is a top five podcast so let's talk about uh a poster that released um so the Aladdin film, the live-action Aladdin film released 
uh, a new trailer and a poster. First off, the trailer, it actually looks really good, really solid. Where I saw the trailer, the original, the teaser they released, and I was like, eh, it's a live-action Aladdin. A lot of these live-action Disney movies, to me, look like something I've already seen. And it's like, well, I've already seen that movie. I'm not that excited for it. Like Lion King, to be honest, this it just looks like a movie I've already seen. So I'm not, like, super thrilled. But Aladdin, it doesn't necessarily look like they changed it, anything, changed it or anything in the movie, but it does look like they have like just turned everything up to 11 and it just looks they just turn that dial up and it looks just really cool so and even in the in the new trailer they had the scene where like they do the carpet ride and they sing a whole new world and i'm like here we go i'm sucked in you got me you know so and uh will smith's genie actually doesn't look that bad it does it's i was i questioned it when they originally released images but it actually looks pretty cool so uh, I'm down for Aladdin. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if it'll be a trailer movie. Uh, uh, sorry, a theater movie for me, but um, I definitely plan on watching Aladdin. Um, but the poster for Aladdin was really cool. It really caught my eye because there was a there's an artist who used to do movie posters. His name was Drew Struzan. Um, he's done I th- he's done all of the Star Wars posters. He has done all of the. Um, I don't think he did it Solo and Rogue One, but he did do. The original Star Wars movies plus uh, Force Awakens, um, and maybe he did Last Jedi. I'm not sure, but he he's when you look at a poster like Star Wars and you see all the different character faces and maybe some images of vehicles or spaceships or something. That's that's a style that he kind of put together, and he would hand paint all those. Uh, there's a really really cool documentary about Drew Struzan that you can get. Uh, I at the top of my head right now I don't remember the name. Maybe I'll pull it up for next week so I can talk about it but um he's done some of the most iconic posters like harry potter jurassic park um did he do jurassic park i'm not sure but he did harry potter he did uh back to the future he did the indiana jones films like they're amazing amazing movie posters and this it was it was like a style of doing movie posters that got you excited to see movies it wasn't just taking a picture of jennifer aniston and putting her on the cover this was like a hand-drawn like here's harrison ford he's swinging a whip it that made the movie look exciting like it was an adventure and the aladdin poster that got released looks like you're getting yourself in on an adventure and it was it's really really cool to see and i thought that was actually quite awesome um with that being said let's move on to the next trailer slash poster avengers endgame released a trailer today today as i speak along with a poster um before i talk about the trailer i'm going to talk about the poster it is very Drew Struzan-esque poster, just like the Aladdin one. It's very, like, all the characters are represented. It's also very clear that they couldn't have released this poster or trailer before Captain Marvel released because Captain Marvel's on the poster, Captain Marvel's in the trailer, and I think they wanted to keep Captain Marvel's origin separate from any of the Avengers stuff. They wanted to keep that film clearly separated from what was going on with the Avengers and let her have her time in the limelight before she gets lumped into this big event. Uh, With that being said, um, the poster is really, really cool. It it made me excited to see it. It made me excited to want to see the movie. Um, Now let's talk about the uh, trailer because I had... I found the first Avengers teaser very underwhelming because it didn't show anything. 
and I didn't expect it to because they want to hold it. They're playing this real close to the chest. They don't want us to see anything. They don't want us to... They want us to enjoy this movie for what it is and not get anything spoiled, you know, in the world of... And we've talked on the show before about how people can ruin a movie by... They can talk... That you can ruin a movie by putting too much stuff in a spoiler. Like the... Uh, like the... Like the Thor Ragnarok moment where the Hulk came in and, every, you know, that would have been so much cooler if I hadn't in the theater to see it for the first time, if I hadn't known he was going to be in the movie. And I feel like Marvel um, heard the whining and moaning about that because they're not showing us anything. When the second Marvel trailer, or the second Marvel, the second Avengers trailer dropped during the Super Bowl, again, they didn't show us anything. And it was almost weird that they didn't show us anything. They, I mean... They they showed me some glimpses of some characters and some empty baseball stadiums, and I was like, what am I watching? And I just was very underwhelmed and very like, thanks, Marvel. You, that's not what I wanted. And I, was, I haven't been excited to see Endgame. But the trailer that dropped today, um, if you hadn't watched it, I highly recommend you go see it. If you don't like watching trailers for spoilers, I will assure you this. I don't feel like there was anything spoilery in this trailer. You saw an image of a character doing this. You saw an image of a character doing that. You heard some lines of dialogues. And the, the coolest part is the whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. They kept repeating it in the trailer, and it was awesome. And it, it was almost like that was the that was the momentum where we got to almost like we got to do this, whatever it takes. And you got to see some glimpses of some characters that... I didn't think we'd get to see in the trailer, but it wasn't spoilery. It was characters we knew were going to be in there. We know they're going to be in the movie. So, um, but you didn't get to see anything that made you think you had any clue what was going on in the story. And that was what was cool about it. There was nothing in this that made me have any clue what the story of the movie was going to be. Now, when I say that, we have... um, I've read the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. So me being a reader of comic books, I basically know what's supposed to happen in terms of what the original Marvel story was. What I do know is that because you have to make adaptations from what was originally written to what appears on the screen, it doesn't always work out that way. And you end up with this kind of a new story. So the way they've had to alter things, like, for example, in the original, in the comic book side of this story, the X-Men were involved. Well, the X-Men aren't a part of this Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. So because of that, they have to take the X-Men out of the equation and still tell the story. So things have changed. So because things have changed, I saw that trailer and said to myself, wow, I really don't know where this is going. So I'm walking into this movie very excited that even though I know where it could go because of the comic books, it's probably not going to, and I'm just going to be in the edge of, at the edge of my seat for the next three and a half hours because I think, you know, it's going to be a long movie, and we all know it, and we all want it. So bring it. So good for you guys. Just bring it. Um, so, yeah, um, that brings me to the end of the news. So uh, even though I'm by myself, I did make a top five list so we, so we can talk tonight. So um, with that being said, we all know what that means. It's time for the lists. 
now for the top five. Okay, so yeah, I'm by myself and I'm doing a top five list. Now I know Peter told me before he went on his baby leave that when he comes back, he's gonna want to tell us about the top five lists that he missed out on. So with that being said, um, Last week, when Bryn was here, we talked a little bit about director's cuts, and she seemed kind of upset that for some reason she's like, wait a minute, how how come I didn't know about this? I feel like I missed a whole, like, I feel like I'm watching a completely different movie because of uh, director's cut. And she's like, why would they do this? Why wouldn't they give it to us up front? So let me kind of explain what a director's cut is if you don't know, and I'll explain how that kind of works, I guess you can say. So... A director's cut for a film is very, it basically means, so the film gets, the movie gets shot, and then the director um, will turn in his final cut, he'll do all the edits, he'll do all this, like, all the sound mixing, everything will get done, and they'll turn it into the studio, and let's say, for example, it's a runtime of three hours. Well, the studio might have wanted it to be shorter, because if you have, if you have a three-hour movie, Every so often you have like you have to have a break between movies so you can in a theater so you can let your cast go in and out. And not your cast, your audience, so you can cycle in a new audience. So if it's a three-hour movie, you can't run it as many times in a day as you can with a two-hour movie. So the studio might say, Alright, look, we see what's going on, but can you make it two hours and twenty minutes? So the director then has to go back to the editing table and cut out pieces of the movie to get it down to what they want for theater length. Many times what you get in the theater is what you get and the discussion. And sometimes when they do Blu-ray releases or whatever, they'll put on, they'll put the bonus scenes on the Blu-ray for you or the DVD, um, which will be like the deleted scenes that the director had to take out. Sometimes you're like, wow, it's a good reason that there was no need to have that scene. It's a good thing they took that out. They didn't need that. A lot of times you'll watch those scenes and it won't matter. But every now and then a director will go, I'm going to release my cut of the film because even though they're making me cut this stuff out, I'm going to put it on the Blu-ray or DVD for home release. So if people really want my vision, they can watch my vision. What I think is interesting about that is that, yes, where Bryn last week was all upset about it, sometimes it drastically, drastically changes the movie. And so I put a list together of my top five favorite director's cuts and we're going to go through these, uh, and I'll talk to you about uh, some variations that there are. Um, so there's also this thing called the unrated cut of a film. And the unrated cuts of the film, a lot of times they're not necessarily director's cuts. You usually find the unrated versions with um, comedies over um, anything else. But an unrated cut usually means... It was a little more graphic in terms of language, maybe a little more graphic in terms of nudity, maybe a little more graphic in terms of uh, violence, but it's not necessarily a movie-altering experience. However, with that said, I do my best. If I know there's an unrated cut, I will watch the unrated cut. If I know there is a director's cut, I'll watch the director's cut. I'll try not to watch the theatrical version. Now, a lot of times I watch a theater and a movie, and then later when I get it at home, I watch the director's cut so I can see that new stuff that they had to cut out. This is interesting because there are certain people that I've recommended movies to and I've let borrow from my collection, and I've sat and made people watch where they've only seen the director's cut, so they don't know it any other way. So where Bryn got upset last week, she 
<laughs> she had seen X-Men Days of Future Past, the Rogue Cut, which is the one I gave her to watch, and then she bought her own copy, but she didn't buy the Rogue Cut. She bought the regular theatrical cut, and the movie's completely different because of the director, because of what the director had to change before he released it to the theater. And she felt it was a completely different movie that she watched and was baffled by this whole thing. So let's go through my uh, top five list here. Um, I do have one honorable mention. Um, it's uh, Avatar. Um, Avatar, not being the last Airbender, but Avatar, the James Cameron film with the blue cat people. Um, the big thing about Avatar is the movie primarily, the director's cut of the movie basically simply has an alternate opening of the film. It's not big. It's not this massive craziness. The movie itself is pretty much the exact same film that you saw in the theater, but the opening of the film really lent to some motivations of the main character a little better leading into what happens in the rest of the story. So I just thought that was really cool. Um, it wasn't a really big change. It didn't make that big of a deal. Um, but it did help motivation-wise because when I saw it in the theater, I didn't. it's not like I had questions or wondered why, but it was very... Um, let's see where this is going. And, you know, when I got it, when I finally got it home and watched it at home and I watched the director's cut, I was like, oh, that makes a little more sense as to why that happened. And, you know, you move on with your life and you enjoy the rest of the movie. So, uh, Avatar is my honorable mention. Um, but here are my five favorites, uh, of the director's cuts. I'm going to bounce around the list cause I'm saving one for last to really discuss because of, uh, things we've talked about before. But, uh, first I'm going to talk about, um, X-Men Days of Future Past. Um, that made my list. Uh, I, like I said, I mentioned it with um, Bren having an issue. Her and I talked heavily about it, and um, she's even though she's baffled, I'm really surprised that some of these things in the Rogue Cut of Days of Future Past got changed and got taken out. But I also understand that the studio wanted specific things, and Brian Singer, as a director, was nice enough to give us the full story anyway. So there we go. So X Men: Days of Future Past. Um, the next one on my list I want to talk about is The Watchmen. Uh, yes, this is another superhero movie, but um, this was a movie that it was lengthy to begin with, and it was even longer, and the studio made Zack Snyder cut. They made Zack Snyder cut down the film to fit a certain time frame. Um, but The Watchmen director's cut is fantastic. Um it doesn't the the extra footage doesn't necessarily change something change the movie as a whole but the director's cut does create some moments that make things flow a little better uh, makes the editing some certain scenes um, the editing seem a little better and it helps with motivations of certain characters uh, so the Watchmen director's cut I've only watched I think I've watched the movie by itself once. And then I've only ever seen the director's cut, so I don't know if I could ever go back. I don't know if I watched... I know if I watched the original... Sorry, getting my thoughts in, in together. I know that if I watched the original, I know if things are missing, but I don't know... Um, I don't know how I would... I don't know if I would actually notice right away. I'd be like, hey, wait, where's that scene... I thought this thing happened, and then probably be gone before I really could pinpoint what I was missing in the scene. Um, but I've I pretty much only watched the director's cut on that one. Um, the next one on my list. This brings me to my third. See, it's different when I'm doing this by myself and I'm not going back and forth with different people. So, um, but the next one on my list is the movie Aliens. Uh, Aliens is um, is in the James Cameron Aliens, so the sequel, the second movie that came out. 
This one's really interesting because there are things in this one that actually kind of change the movie a little bit. Um, when Ripley is out in outer space, uh, drifting in space, and they catch her at the beginning of the movie, and then they bring her back to Earth and they debrief her, she has these moments where she's living on Earth. It's it's kind of glazed over in the theatrical release of the film, but when you look at the director's cut, there's some extra stuff where she tries to seek out her daughter that she found out that, like, had passed away while she was floating around in space uh, because she was in space for so long, like in cryosleep for so long that her daughter had grown old and passed away. So you learn about that. You get to see a picture of her daughter, which really just looks like Sigourney Weaver with old old woman makeup on. But anyway, you learn about her daughter, and you get to see some things on Earth. But then when you actually get to the alien planet, there's some really cool sequences where they show you of... The soldiers setting up gun emplacements because they're barricading themselves into certain areas. There's a little bit more science stuff with the aliens and talking about the bureaucracy of wanting to bring the aliens back and weaponize them. And there's some really cool sequences like that. So this is one where the movie is actually vastly, um, vastly uh, changed by the director's cut scenes. So if you get a chance to see the alien dire- aliens directors, actually... All four of the first Alien films have director's cuts to them. They're all really good. They all show a lot of extra stuff. Um, Alien, the first one, and Aliens, the second one, have the are the most drastically changed by the director's cut, where they both actually feel like different movies. So I highly recommend it if you can. Um, the next one, this is a big one. Um, I'm counting, this is a trilogy of films, and I'm counting it all together as one, but that's the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions. Um, These are director's cuts of the films that are massive, massive director's cuts and drastically change the films. When you watch, when you see Lord of the Rings on TBS, TNT, or something like that, and you go, oh, Lord of the Rings is on, and you stop flipping channels, it is not the director's cut. It is the theatrical version of the film. And if you know the director's cuts, there are glaring things missing, and it it bothers me big time. The uh, Lord of the Rings, all three movies, each movie itself is about three hours in length, maybe a little bit more. Not by much, but a few minutes. But their theatrical release was three hours each. Each director's cut is four hours. They're massive. That's an hour of footage cut from each film to be one like to be a director's cut that's insane in my opinion so fellowship two towers return of the king four hours in length when i bought them on dvd they were uh, two discs each so each disc was two hours so you watched the first disc which was like a full-length movie and then it said uh, insert disc two and then you inserted the second disc and you watched another two-hour movie um which makes, which honestly, that that's perfect for like bathroom breaks and stuff like that. So you can be like, oh sweet, I have a minute to get the snack and then continue watching. Um, but they're really, really good. And when I watch them on TV, like on, like I said on TBS or TNT or something, I know the pieces that are missing, and it really bothers me they're not there. So I highly recommend if you've never seen the Lord of the Rings director's cuts or extended editions, check them out. They're absolutely fantastic. The um, I did one day. It was really funny. I had a day off from the work, and I thought to myself, you know, I haven't seen Fellowship in a while. I'm going to pop that in. So I grabbed my bowl of cereal. I sat down on the couch, threw in Fellowship. 
started watching, and I was like, and about halfway through the first disc, I was like, you know, I have stuff I should do. I sh I'll just finish the first disc and uh, not go any farther. And I finished the first disc, and then I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to finish this movie. So I watched the entire film. Well, Lord of the Rings, everything is a cliffhanger. So until you get to that last movie, so as soon as Fellowship ended, I was like, eh, you know, I'm going to watch Two Towers. And then I was like, eh, you know, I'm going to watch Return of the King. And I sat on the couch through all, like, the extended editions all back to back to back to back. And it was one of the coolest rides all the way through. It was awesome. Um, if you get a chance to do that, great. But I know that we have so many things going on in our lives with social media and everyone gets so busy and stuff. You don't have time to watch movies like that sometimes. So if you can, it's great. Um, but the number one thing, and I don't want to call this number one, but this is the last pick of the night. Um, and I'm bringing this up because of, this is a movie that got a lot of negative press because of editing. Um, whether you liked the movie or not is irrelevant. Whether you um, agree with the editing choices is irrelevant. This is a movie that got a lot of interesting press because of the editing choices. And then they released the director's cut. And this is the Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. We've talked a lot about the DC universe um, in terms of movies, but this movie is it clocked in at two and a half hours theatrical release. The when they announced that the director's cut was releasing, or the Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition, they announced not only did it jump from a PG-13 to a rated R version of the film for violence and language, but it was going to be an extra half hour of footage. Where people complain about the editing of the theatrical release of Batman vs Superman, the if you watch the director's cut, if you watch the ultimate edition, all those questions are cleaned up. So even though I was able to piece it together and figure out, like, watching it in the theater, I fully followed the movie and I had no problem understanding it. But when I saw the ultimate edition and I saw the where things were cut and edited, one, I understand why they edited it out. It was an issue of timing in the theater and they wanted to be able to run it more. So they chopped it down to two and a half hours. But the things they let, they took out honestly do lend to the story and they're very important and they're very important for the story that's being told and i really feel that batman versus superman is one of the best comic book movies we've gotten i know that's an unpopular opinion with the majority of the internet and uh some of my friends but because of what they were telling if you watch that version of the film, it's an incredible movie. It's an incredible story that they were telling. And I really think they did a nice job with it. I don't think it would make a top five if I had to do a superhero list, but I do think it's one of the best superhero lists movies. I don't think it would make my top five if I did top five superhero movies, but I do think it's one of the best superhero movies that we have gotten in a long time because of what they were trying to tackle and because of how they put the story together. So, um, at the end of the day, um, if you get a chance to watch any of these films, the director's cuts really did change a lot of these movies. Batman vs. Superman, for sure. Lord of the Rings, for sure. X-Men Days of Future Past, absolutely. Those are the three on my list that are drastically changed because of the director's cuts. So, I figured it would be a good kind of issue to tackle. Peter might have a little stuff to say about it when he gets back from uh, Baby Leave. So, um... Yeah, we'll we'll go with that. Now, with that being said, um, that kind of brings us to the end of the another episode. Um, 
I don't know what next week brings. Like I said, I have a couple guests coming. Um, and then right after I have a couple guests, we actually are going to do, I might actually get you guys a bonus show in there for fun because why not? Um, with Peter out, I'm kind of just trying to line up more people. Um, I'm trying to line up fun things to do. Unfortunately, I had to do tonight by myself. So I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I hope that, uh, I was able to handle myself okay and uh, put on a show because as far as I'm concerned, my listening audience is important and I want to keep um, bringing you guys uh, good content and I want to give it away because all I want to do is sit around and talk about movies and TV anyway. Uh, so with that being said, um, next week I do have a guest, uh, so we'll talk about that then and I'm going to let the guest uh, next week because Peter's out um, pick the top five, so we're going to find out what's happening there. Um, when Peter returns, like I said at the top of the show, we will discuss our favorites of 2018. We want to get that in. So um, uh, when he gets back, and that's a ranked list. Every time we do a year, if this is your first time listening, um, those have to be ranked uh, because we want to treat a year like the Oscars. So um, we'll see what that takes. So with that being said, let me close out and stop talking in your ear. And so if you're driving home or whatever, um, do your thing. But uh, have have a good, safe drive for work, home from work if that's what you're doing. And um, uh, we'll see you next week. So please check out our website, top5report.com. There you will find all of our links to social media like Twitter and Facebook. You will also find a link to our email if you want to interact with our show at top5report at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you do subscribe to us, you will not miss out on a single episode. And if you do subscribe to us on iTunes, please, uh, we'd love to get the reviews. Five stars are great, but we also understand we need criticism because it helps us get better and it helps the words we say sound important. So uh, for me, uh, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, uh, I am at Drew3927. And um, for the Top 5 Report, my name is Drew, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.